Good afternoon, everyone. After his death and resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples and gave them a charge, a mission to accomplish. He said to them, as we read in Matthew 28, beginning with verse 18, Matthew 28, verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Even to the end of the age. This was not a mission only for the 11 disciples Jesus spoke to on that occasion. It was a mission for the church of God, even to the end of the age. Besides the 11 disciples who were there at that time that Jesus spoke these words, many others who came along later were involved in carrying out that mission that God had given to his church. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 9, beginning verse 37, Matthew 9, verse 37, Jesus said, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. God's work, the work that we read about, the work of taking the gospel to the nations, teaching them, giving them instruction, that work is done through the power of God's Spirit. Zerubbabel was a man who was chosen by God to be a leader in the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. God sent a message to Zerubbabel that it would be through the power of God's Spirit that the work of building the temple would be accomplished. We read in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, Zechariah 4 and verse 6, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The physical temple that Zerubbabel was engaged in building is a type of the spiritual temple of God, which is the church of God, consisting of members of the church, members who have been baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, 1 Peter 2 and verse 5, you also, speaking to the members of the church, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now notice what Peter said here is that the individuals of the church, the members of the church, are being built together as a spiritual house, a priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. That means that the church, as a spiritual body, acts collectively to serve in the temple of God. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Writing to the church here, Paul said, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, Ephesians 2 and verse 19, again writing to the church, Peter or Paul wrote, uh, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So again, the church is spiritually 
likened to a temple. It is the temple of God in a spiritual sense. And the church, as I, as we read collectively, acts as a priesthood serving in the temple. Taking the gospel to the world is a collective mission. It's a collective mission. It requires work. And that means it requires leadership. The eleven and other leaders in the New Testament era did the public preaching of the gospel, but they could not have done it effectively without the support of many other people. People who were leaders in their own right, even though they may not have been ordained ministers. When Jesus Christ returns, the people who are in the resurrection that will occur at that time called the first resurrection will all be placed in positions of leadership in God's kingdom. And that's partly because they will have proven their capacity to lead in this lifetime. We read in Daniel 7 and verse 27, Daniel 7 and verse 27, Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. Now, a saint, according to the Bible, is not someone who has been canonized by the Roman Catholic Church or any other church. A saint simply means one who is holy, one who has been converted, who has received the Holy Spirit. All of the members of God's church are saints in that sense. And it says, the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. In other words, the people who together compose the church of God in this age. And it goes on to say, His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. Revelation chapter 3, Revelation 3 and verse 21 we read what Jesus Christ says to the church. He said, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, just as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now the throne of Jesus Christ will be a throne over the nations of the earth. As it was just read, all dominion shall serve and obey him. When Jesus Christ returns to establish his reign on the earth, the dead in Christ, those who have died in the faith, having been baptized, received the Holy Spirit and remained faithful, will be resurrected at that time. As we read in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 22, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Those who are Christ's at his coming will be resurrected. They will be made alive at the time of his return. That means they're not alive now. That is, most of them have already lived and died. A few will be alive at that time, but uh, those who are dead, which will be the vast majority, will be made alive, resurrected to life, eternal life, at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we read more about that resurrection in Revelation chapter 20, Revelation 20 and verse 4. I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection 
Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So there will be a series of resurrections involving everyone actually who has lived and died in the flesh and this will be the first of the, that series of resurrections not including the resurrection of Jesus Christ who was uh, as we just read the first fruits but the first in this series of resurrections involving large numbers of people will uh, occur at the time of Christ's coming and those who are in that resurrection those who have resisted the idolatrous worship of this world and who have rejected it, who have served Christ faithfully, they will be resurrected and they will reign with him and they shall be priests of God as we read and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. So they will be serving in offices of teaching and instructing and ruling the nations. Speaking of a message to the church of God in this age, we read in, again in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, Revelation 1 verse 5, this is a message from Jesus Christ. It says the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made or more accurately makes us kings and priests to his God and Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus Christ washes us from our sins in his own blood and he makes us kings and priests. He will make us kings and priests in the resurrection, as we just read. In Revelation 5, beginning verse 9, Revelation 5, verse 9, in a message reflecting the prayers of the saints concerning Jesus Christ, we read, this is Revelation 9, beginning verse, Revelation 5, beginning verse 9, you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made, or would be better translated here, and makes us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. These, this again uh, represents the prayers of the saints, the members of the church, speaking of Christ redeeming us through his sacrifice and making us kings and priests to God as we reign on the earth. Now part of the mission with which Jesus charged Peter, not only Peter, also uh, others, includes not only taking the gospel to the world, but also feeding the sheep, that is the flock of God's chosen people. And so Peter was asked, and this occurred after Jesus had died and been resurrected and was still there with the, the disciples before his, his, his ascension into heaven. Peter was asked, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, he wasn't talking about four-legged creatures with wool, coats. He was talking about his church, his chosen ones, his, his own people who form his church. 
And that responsibility to feed the sheep is responsibility of all who are called into the ministry of Jesus Christ. Paul, in speaking to a group of ministers in Asia Minor, said in Acts 20 and verse 28, to this group of ministers, he said, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So the church is likened to a flock of sheep. And the ministers are charged with the responsibility of being shepherds for the church. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5 and verse 1, 1 Peter 5 verse 1, the elders who are among you, elders is another name for ministers, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, which is Jesus Christ, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So, there was a twofold mission that was given to the apostles, and hence to the church itself one was to take the gospel to the world and to make disciples from all nations and and the secondly the second part of that dual commission was to take care of the flock those who had become converted and part of the church and again that takes effort it takes work it takes leadership in this sermon i want to discuss the subject of godly leadership godly leadership what exactly does it mean to be a godly leader what does it take to be a godly leader and what are some examples of godly leadership that we find in scripture or elsewhere when jesus christ returns he will set shepherds over the flock of god which ultimately ultimately will encompass all mankind and it will begin with the Israelite peoples brought out of captivity after the tribulation and the return of Jesus Christ to establish his government on the earth. We read about that in a number of scriptures, one of them in Jeremiah 3 and verse 14. Jeremiah 3 and verse 14. Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you one from a city and two from a family and I will bring you to Zion. I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Again in Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning in verse 3. Jeremiah 23 and verse 3. I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them, speaking of the people of Israel, and bring them back to their folds and they shall be fruitful and, and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed nor shall they be lacking says the Lord. So Israel is going to be brought back to the land that God promised originally to Abraham Canaan or Palestine as it's now called and these will be the people who come out of the tribulation, those who are left alive at that time, and they will be taught, they will have shepherds set over them to teach them. And the shepherds will include those who are set over the people as kings and priests that we read about earlier. One of the responsibilities of a priest is to teach, as we read in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 7. Malachi 2 and verse 7, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That was the duty, the responsibility of a priest to 
learn or to understand the law, to inculcate it into his mind and character, and to teach it to others, to act as a messenger for God. And so it will be our responsibility if we are among those to be in the first resurrection, to teach what we've learned, what we have practiced in following Christ in this age. The question for us is, are we learning? Are we practicing? Are we leading in serving Christ now so that we may serve in even greater responsibilities in the future resurrection? As I mentioned earlier, even though the work is done through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we read, God wants and needs laborers for the harvest. He needs workers. And each member of the church of God has a part in doing that work. And doing the work responsibly requires exercising the qualities of an effective leader. It doesn't matter what your position or your role in the church is. If you're going to exercise your part in doing the work, you will be exercising the qualities of an effective leader. Now I want to discuss some of those qualities, what it takes to be an effective leader. Godly leadership begins with being convicted. It begins with being convicted and having not just any convictions, but the right convictions. Real leaders, wherever you might find them, usually have strong convictions. But having strong convictions alone does not make a godly leader. What we want to be, be is godly leaders, not just leaders, but godly leaders. So a godly leader must have the right convictions. Salvation and leadership in the kingdom of God requires several things. It requires an abiding faith in Jesus Christ, in his resurrection, and in his word. Paul wrote in Romans 10 and verse 9, Paul wrote in Romans 10 and verse 9, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now, a more literal translation of the Greek in verse 10 would be as follows. With the heart it is believed unto righteousness, and with the mouth it is confessed unto salvation as you can find in Robertson's word pictures in the New Testament and other sources, the Greek word in verse 10 for it is believed is in the present passive indicative, present passive indicative of this duo. The exact form in the Greek is pestueta, which is the present passive indicative and the word for confession is also in the present passive indicative and it should read thus with the heart it is believed unto righteousness with the mouth it is confessed unto salvation that's how the present passive indicative would more literally be translated and as Robertson notes the words for heart and for mouth are in the instrumental case. In other words, they are the instruments through which this belief is expressed or rendered. Now the confession of the mouth, as we read about here, to be genuine must be from the conviction of the heart. You the sense here is that what is confessed with the mouth is what is believed in the heart. And belief is conviction. This conviction has to do with faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Master, whose word you will obey, as we read in the context here in, in Romans 10. And 
it's a, a conviction with faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Master that leads to righteousness and believing also that he is alive, that he was raised from the dead and thus that he is God and that he can fulfill and will fulfill his promises. So you have to be convicted of those things to be a godly leader. That's the very foundation of it. Now Paul worked zealously and suffered greatly in fulfilling the mission that he was given as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He wrote to Timothy, whom he had trained and ordained as a minister, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Now, Paul, at this particular time, was imprisoned in Rome. And he was telling Timothy that we're not to have a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. We're not to be ashamed of the testimony of Christ. And he went ahead to say, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Who is saved, or more accurately would be translated who saves us, and called, or more accurately translated calls us, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. and has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished or more accurately abolishes death. Death has not been abolished yet, but Christ does abolish it, will abolish it eventually, completely. Has abolished death or abolishes death and brought or more accurately brings life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you. Keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Now, notice that Paul said that he believed and is persuaded that what Christ promised he would do. He was deeply convicted of the faith or in the faith of Jesus Christ and persuaded that his promises would be kept and thus he was able to sustain his efforts as a leader in the work of God through great tribulation and suffering. Paul wrote to the Romans, Romans chapter 8, Romans 8, beginning with verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ, he asks. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now notice again, he put this in very strong terms that he is persuaded that nothing can separate us from God among these things that are mentioned. 
the only thing that can separate us from Christ is our own unfaithfulness. But if we are deeply convicted that Jesus Christ is our Savior, that He died and that He lives eternally, and that the way of life taught in God's Word is the way that we should behave as followers of Jesus Christ, if we are convicted of those things, then we have the foundation for being effective leaders in God's service. Now, to be convicted implies courage. To be effective leaders, we must have the courage of our convictions, of the right convictions. We must be able to recognize error where it appears and be willing to resist and overcome the tide of popular opinion it's human nature to want to be accepted, to want to be esteemed in the opinions of others, to want to follow the crowd. And that's what most people do. But we can't do that if we're Christians. The life of a real Christian is often lonely. The truth is, the truth has never been very popular. And following the truth has almost never been the norm in the culture of any nation. At least not for long. Very brief periods during the history of Israel and Judah it may have been, but those periods lasted but only a short time. The truth is virtually never other than that been the norm of, in the culture of any nation in the world's history. Jesus said, in Matthew 7 and verse 13, Matthew 7 and verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way which leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So the broad way, the popular way, the way that's commonly followed in the world is the way of destruction. And most people are going along that path. But the gate that leads to eternal life is narrow and difficult and there are few in this age who find it. To enter by the narrow gate is difficult and it requires courage. The courage of the right convictions. Those truly faithful to God and his way of life have throughout history often been subjected to persecution. Jesus warned in Matthew 10, he warned uh, numerous times about this. Matthew 10 verse 21, we read, Now brother will deliver up brother to death and father his child and children rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. He went on to say in verse 27 of Matthew 10, Matthew 10 verse 27, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul or in, in other words com completely take your life away permanently but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will but the very hairs of your head are all numbered do not fear therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow me or follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of the disciples, assuredly, I say to you, he shall be no, by no means lose his reward. So, what Christ is warning us about is persecution. Persecution that has been commonplace with regard to Christians throughout history. So, we here have not endured much serious persecution in this era the last several decades the church of God in the United States has not been seriously persecuted but we may be approaching the time when that will change anyone who identifies himself as a Christian today in many places in the world is likely to be persecuted and it's been said lately that the most persecuted category of people on the earth today are Christians. In the United States, probably the most persecuted people are are Jewish people, by far. But more and more Christians are being people who identify themselves as Christians, even if they're not really fully converted Christians in the sight of God, People who identify as Christians are more and more being persecuted in this country and elsewhere. And especially if we actually obey God's commandments, if we actually follow them, if we actually do the things that Christ tells us to do, we are going to be more and more subject to persecution. And again, that means that we have to have courage to be godly leaders, the courage of our convictions. Among human beings, all truly great leaders are great followers. Let me repeat that. Among human beings, all truly great leaders are great followers. To be effective leaders as Christians, we must know who to follow, and we must know what to follow. And if we are not following the one whom we should follow, and not following that which we are to follow, then we're not going to be godly leaders we must not be mere followers of men we must not be sycophants seeking to gain favor by insincere flattery or by self-promotion by slander guile deception hypocrisy or other means unworthy of a disciple of christ first and foremost a true christian must be a follower of jesus christ we are to learn of Christ through studying and meditating on his word which is the Bible and we are to imitate him follow his example we're warned over and over in scripture not to follow the ways of the world the ways of false religion of idolatry the lust of the flesh rather we read in Matthew 16 Matthew 16 verse 24 then Jesus said to his disciples If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Follow me, he said. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That is, soul here means your life. It's not speaking only of life in this age, it's it's speaking of life period. Only God can completely erase our lives permanently. 
So he says, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul or his life? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. He will reward each according to his works. This is when Jesus Christ returns with his reward to give to each one according to his works. Now the Greek word for disciple is mathetes, and it means, as you can find in Vine's Expository Dictionary, it means literally a learner from the root word manthano, which means to learn, the word manthano, which is actually from the a root word math, indicating thought accompanied by endeavor. Now, notice that the root word indicates thought accompanied by endeavor or action. It's not only having the right ideas, but acting on them. The right understanding, but acting on that understanding. Hence, it denotes one who follows one's teaching. A disciple is not just a, a passive learner. A disciple is one who learns and then follows what he has learned, does what he has learned, follows the teachings that he has been taught. And we go on to read in Vine's Expository Dictionary concerning this word, a disciple was not only a pupil but an adherent. Hence they are spoken of as imitators of their teacher. Disciple is not only a pupil but an adherent. Hence spoken of as imitators of their teacher. We're to be imitators of Jesus Christ. We're to learn what he has to teach us and then we are to do it. We're to follow him. And that is what will make us godly leaders. Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, as we read in John chapter 8, beginning with verse 31, John 8 verse 31, he said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, or you are my true disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Notice, in order to truly be a disciple of Jesus requires that we abide in his teachings, his words. We live by them. So, who to follow is Jesus Christ. What to follow is his word, his teachings, the teachings of Scripture. So while we can gain knowledge from the experiences and examples of others, we are first and foremost to follow Jesus Christ and live according to the word of God as preserved in Scripture. Finally, godly, godly leadership implies service. Godly leadership implies service. In Matthew 20, Matthew 20 and verse, beginning with verse 25, we read Jesus called them, that is the twelve, to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. For whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. A truly godly leader is a servant. He's not just somebody that goes around shouting orders or some individual puffed up with his own self-importance. Godly leadership requires a spirit of service and humility. Paul the Apostle gave up his status as a leading Pharisee among the Jews endured the loss of almost all, if not all, of his material possessions. He endured persecutions, beatings, and other trials in order to serve Jesus Christ. 
and the people that he preached to and ministered to. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 11, to the present hour we both hunger and thirst and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless and we labor working with our own hands being reviled we bless being persecuted we endure being defamed we entreat we have been made as the filth of the world the offscouring of all things until now in 2 Corinthians 11 beginning in verse 24 2 Corinthians 11 beginning in verse 24 Paul wrote from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day I've been in the deep in journeys often in perils of waters in perils of robbers in perils of my own countrymen in perils of the Gentiles in perils in the city in perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea in perils among false brethren in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often in hunger and thirst in fastings often in cold and nakedness besides the other things what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches these are the things that Paul endured as a servant of Jesus Christ and the people that he cared for in the church and ones who he was seeking to help learn about the message of salvation. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 7, Philippians 3 and verse 7, Paul wrote, What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellent knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So, Paul was an example, not the only example, but an example of the things suffered by godly leaders. There are many other examples of faithful servants of God in the scriptures. And every one of those examples implies leadership. Included in these examples, besides the more familiar personalities that probably any of us can name readily, but others we may not know so well would be a woman mentioned in Acts 9. Her Aramaic name was Tabitha, meaning gazelle, equivalent to the Greek name Dorcas. And it is said of her in Acts 9 and verse 36, Acts 9 and verse 36, this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. She was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. She was a godly leader. There was Anna, mentioned in Luke 2 and verse 37. Anna was a woman who was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers day and night and day, it says. And there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon described as a just and devout man in Luke 2 and verse 25. There was Hannah, a woman of faith, who became the mother of Samuel. These and others mentioned in the Bible are just some of a multitude of faithful servants over the generations, most of whose names we do not know. But God knows who they are. He knows what they believed and he knows what they did. Not all of us have the same talents or the same opportunities for service. But more than likely, there is a way that you, whoever you are, can serve no matter what circumstance you may be in. In Romans 12, Romans 12, beginning in verse 1, we read, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy, Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In these words are lots of opportunities for godly service and leadership. Each member will have to decide what he or she can do in the way of service to others. We shouldn't be second-guessing or seeking to judge others in what we think they should do or not do, as each of us is accountable to God. But one thing we can all do is diligently pray that God will bless the fruits of our labor and add more labors to the harvest. With being convicted of what is right in God's sight, with courage, following Christ and the Christ-like examples of others, and service, you can be a leader, not only now, but later on, more importantly, in God's kingdom.